Welcome to the end of the year. We did it. All year long, I've asked people, when you say God, what the heck is that? And the answers have blown me away. And so I wanted to try something different. And so I have mixed together every single answer from this past year of that question in a random order. And I think it's something nice. I think it's something beautiful, maybe even holy. And so you're going to find a different episode here. I'm not asking questions. There's very minimal conversation. Dive in as you like. Hit pause when you need to. I know I needed to a few times. But I think this is a great way to end the year with affirmation after affirmation after affirmation of what God is. And the answers are just so expansive. And so, beloved listener, when you say God, what do you mean? Well, stop talking about God. I'm not a Godian. God is just this kind of divine gas in the, a benign gas in the universe. Like God is this empty word that you can put anything you want onto. And most people believe in God or they, or if they don't believe in God, they have some idea of what the thing they don't believe in. And I feel a little bit like, just stop talking about God, start talking more about Jesus. Like, and it might not solve our problem. I'm not claiming this solves our problems, but at least we're now having proper Christian type problems. Hmm. So that rather than talk about God all the time to everybody, just talk about Jesus all the time. Talk about his way. Talk about the way he dealt with power. Talk about the way he dealt with foreigners. Talk about what he did with violence and money. Say that you're trying to do that. And if people are offended at you, well, at least they're offended at Jesus. They're not offended at yeah. some, some kind of deistic or you know religious thing about God. Uh, so that's one of the things I do is I just stop talking about God. I just mm. talk about Jesus as much as I can. Because, mm. mm. um, you know, God isn't invisible. God has a face. God has an accent. God had actions. God took a piss. God had bad breath. <laughs> you know, like it, that's part of the offensiveness of, of being a real Christian is that you, you, you're making God out to be um, some kind of human. <laughs> Imagine that. is typically how I share the gospel, I would say, if there's a God, and I say if not as a doubt statement, but as a faith statement, because I don't prove these things in a courtroom or a laboratory. Hmm. So if there is a God, that God is infinite love. And I might add today, and a mercy that endures forever. For my Muslim friends, the all-merciful one. Hmm. And then I would say, and if you want to know what that love looks like, instead of just you know, infusing your own broken notions of love, if you want to know the reality of what that love looks like, we look at the person of Christ who embodied it per uh, perfectly. And we watch how it comes into clearest focus at the cross, where Christ reveals the divine to be self-giving, radically forgiving, co-suffering love. And then uh, that comes with an invitation. Like we're invited to experience that and to experience that is eternal life. Mm. It's not heaven when you die someday, although that could be an extension of it. But right now in this life, the most broken people I know, although we're not broken, your shirt says, um, the, the, those who, <laughs> you know, the, the, those who struggle on a daily basis 
just to get out of bed and live another day with their demons. They know eternal life when they experience that love and it's transformative character. It just verifies the reality of the divine for them. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and I have to say, Seth, this is the first time anyone has ever asked me that question. Um, usually this particular question is answered within my inner circle so as to not cause controversy because I, you know, um, some people may not understand, but uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, given enough uh, you know, patience and tolerance, it's a, it's a really good answer as to, <laughs> as to what I mean. So I grew up understanding that God was in the clouds, uh, beyond the clouds uh, from a very elementary perspective. And then later I matriculated to, to know uh, or to believe that God was this being uh, who was supreme over all things, watching all things, in all things, uh, all manifestations of human life and in the earth. And uh, that God had a tendency of acting on the behalf of human beings, uh, 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 acting against them. God had certain rules. This uh, being had certain tenets that he wanted us to follow. And uh, as I developed uh, as a human being and grew up, I came to realize that with all of the God talk, you know, Phyllis Tickle once wrote a book called God Talk in America. Um, with all of this God talk, it's becoming quite difficult to feel God in my human flesh uh, simply because other human beings don't carry the same image that I have. So when we talk about God, God is uh, many, in many cases relegated to a Sunday morning phenomena, um, a person or deity or, or construct to rely on, um, you know, a counterpart in struggle to cast your woes upon, you know, those sorts of things. Um, and that anything you need as a human being, you know, God gives you these things. Like, as if you can't, uh, you can't work on patience yourself, you have to rely on God. You can't work on courage yourself, you have to rely on God. You can't work on peace, you have to rely on God. And uh, living in the flesh, you see, my hide could not uh, agree uh, with many of the sentiments that were taught to us in the church about God, God's attributes, those sorts of things. And what I later discovered was that if we're going to talk about God, then I think we have to be involved in that process. Um, so when I speak of God, I speak of the ultimate good of our greatest human endeavors, the greatest good and whatever that is, God would look like uh, you're feeling bad. You, you know, spontaneously lift yourself because of some notion uh, that you are truly already enlightened. Uh, God looks like uh, someone who breaks away from the norm of apathy to spontaneously do something kind for someone else. God looks like, you know, uh, someone uh, taking time out of their day to forthrightly and as an individual, um, set aside their worries and go cast uh, some concern somewhere else with someone else's issues. You know? So God is about connecting with human beings in all of the enterprise of humanity, the suffering, the triumphs, all of those things. And when we speak of God, 
those should be the, the narratives that we sell to ourselves, that we offer our own psychologies um, regarding what we're speaking about. So, you know, God is, God is bigger than anything that we've ever done on the planet. And if the condition of the planet is any indication of how well we've done with God, then, uh, you know, my definition of God is much bigger than that. You see? <laughs> For me, it is the acknowledgement that there is more going on than what we can see and touch and smell and feel. To me, to talk about God is to name that there is something behind. There's something within. There's something underneath it all. That we are more than just atoms and molecules and pizza and paychecks. That there actually is something else behind it and through it all. But to then go one click further, it's also to acknowledge that as far as I choose to believe it, and in many ways it is a choice, as I choose to believe it, that something else I believe is benevolent. I don't think it's indifferent. I don't think it's just a, a Star Wars force. I don't think it's malevolent. Malevolent. I think the thing that is behind the thing, the thing that is under it all, as, as Paul says, the, the thing in which we live and move and have our being. I believe is benevolent. Marcus Borg says that the whole with a capital W, the whole is good. And that's, that's what I mean when I, when I, one of the things I mean when I talk about God is that there is more going on and it is good. And it, it, the closest we can get to what that looks like, I think is love. I love that St. John gave us the simple phrase that God is love because I can sometimes get a, gr a grasp on what love is. And what I, my favorite piece of advice to people is simply always trust love because love never fails. Love never fails. And therefore, I think you can, uh, you can trust that if you are seeking after love, embodying love, practicing love in all of its dimensions, you are getting closer and closer and closer to God with every breath. What I see as God is, I do believe it's internal, you know, that, that God is not something that I'm trying to locate in some obscure place. God is the notion and God is the force which guides us to kind of live the purest life, live um, a life of truth live a life of love. I saw it on one of your posts that religion is love. And so I, I think God is those things. God is love. God is truly looking at somebody and not having any bias and having um, a, a genuine love for them as you do for yourself, as you do for people that you are closest to you that mean the most. So, so 99.9% .9 of people don't exhibit those qualities. I mean, I don't exhibit those qualities. So God is that. And that's what faith, I think, teaches you. What you strive towards is not becoming God, but trying to find those qualities with you because they are within us. I, If I think God is within me, then those qualities are within me that are 
buried under a lot of vices or, or you know, human weakness, you know, the internal weakness that we have. So I think when you say God is love, God is pure, God is truth, that's what I, that's what I think it is. And it's, um, it's until we can genuinely, you know, practice that, until then, we're students. We're trying to, you know, figure out um, the best form of ourselves. Mm. reality. God is reality. When I say God is reality, what I'm saying is that everything that happens, happens as it should. And anytime I argue with that, I suffer. When I accept and embrace what is, when I accept and embrace reality, as a gift from God and as God's very self, I experience peace because that's what it means to surrender my will to God's will. And so God is what is. God is reality. God is in everything and in everyone. And God is what we are. And so and then also on top of that, God is, when I use it, even just that word is a metaphor for something. And it's a word that points to something that is beyond words. It's an experience of connectedness with the present moment and with life and with nature and with self. That's God. Um, I probably would point us, uh, I would say that, you know, God is so much bigger than anything that we can describe. And so the best thing that we can do is look to where God has revealed God's self most clearly, right? Um, and so for me, that would be Jesus and particularly Christ crucified, right? I, I think about 1 Corinthians 1, where um, Paul says that, um, that the in the crucified Christ, God's power and God's wisdom is revealed, right? It's really fascinating that God's power and God's wisdom is revealed in the crucified Christ. And then it goes on to suggest then that that helps us interpret how God is acting in the world. God has chosen the weak to shame the strong. God has chosen those who are considered nothing to shame those who are considered something, right? And so forth. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that maybe... Um, having handles on God is not something that we can really do, right? That's something beyond us. Um, but, but what we can do is, uh, what's it in Hebrew somewhere in the beginning? It's like, but we do see Jesus, right? Um, um, there in Hebrews. And, and I think that that's it. Um, we see Jesus and, and we get a glimpse into the character of God and we get a glimpse into the kind of ways that God works, right? So 
when when people talk about this mean, angry God that's death dealing and just wants to punish people. That's a lie. And I'm like, ah, but we see Jesus yeah. and it seems like he's for life. He's life giving and mm. he's healing and restoring and empowering. And, and, and so we get a very different vision of who God is and how God works. And then from that, that's how I understand how the spirit is at work in the world, that, that God's spirit is also then healing and restoring and loving and encouraging people to stand up and speak for truth, right? Because it's congruent with the very life and character of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so um, for me, that that's how I would answer that question. Well, I'm going to break your rule, man, because for me, it's it's hard to talk about. Yeah, it's hard to talk about God apart from Jesus for me. Um, yeah, I, you know, without getting into the details of my own faith journey, I grew up being told a lot about God and not necessarily even like God the Father, just God. And uh, went through a whole deconstruction process in my faith that so many go through. And um, what brought me back was the compelling, undeniable story of this, you know, first century Jewish rabbi. So it's hard for me to talk about God without talking about Jesus. So I think my honest answer is that that's probably where I'd go, you know, that as a, you know, you can call me whatever, like I rarely call myself, I I rarely self-identify like as a Christian, Not, not to say I have a problem with that. Or, or to deny that I am a Christian, I am one, but that word has such baggage, you know, particularly today in 2020 uh, in the Western, modern Western world. So what we say a lot at our church is not necessarily like as Christians, we say a lot, not just me, but many of our folks will say as followers of Jesus uh, and then whatever, you know. And so it's hard for me to talk about God without talking about Jesus, you know, and I'm not denying the Trinity or anything. I don't want blogs to go up, you know, saying that I'm a heretic or anything like that. Uh, you know, God, the father and Jesus, the son and the Holy spirit. Totally. But um, it's hard for me to talk about any, any one of those without the other. And uh, for me, I think Jesus is, you know, Jesus of Nazareth is the one who, who um, most compelling, and beautifully sort of into the family. So, uh, I think my, my answer would be to, to break your rule would just be to want to talk about Jesus of Nazareth, you know, uh, and why he's such a compelling figure. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Should have given you a warning. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the divine to me is love, inclusion, all around us, whether we look for him or her. Um, and and this, this isn't one word, but no, it doesn't have to be one word. It's fine. I mean, I, my relationship with God is an honest, open one, where, which is not subservient, where we wrestle with things, where I talk to him, her, about everything, and I'm honest. 
and if I've got questions or I'm angry or I don't understand something, uh, I will just say that. And it's not with a bitterness or a rage or anything like that. It's just honest wrestling. Like, I still love you. I still acknowledge you exist. I still acknowledge you are love. And I acknowledge that you are everywhere I, I look for you. Uh, I can find you. And that somehow you are orchestrating some of this stuff that's going on in my life. But I still have questions. And I still want want to know some answers. And I still don't understand a few things. And I'm still angry with you sometimes. And it's just, it's like a grown-up relationship, you know, where it's not like, oh, you're, you're right about everything and I'm just going to bow before you and just accept whatever you say. It's more, I acknowledge who you are and I love who you are at your best. And I just, but I have all these things I want to wrestle with and I want to work through with you. Like, it's like a real kind of grown-up relationship. And that's where I can get on board with God, you know. Um, that's that's kind of where I... Yeah. Where I, where, I, where I meet with God. Yeah. And um, yeah. it's a much healthier place for me, I think. And because I can't do the kind of whole subservient, like God is above everything. God is, um, I should just not question him and I should not. And he's just, he's just has always, always has all the answers and everything. But I, I can't deal with that going to God at the moment anyway. God is the loving source of all life and the energy and the sap and the greenness and the delight of that loving life. I don't, I really sincerely don't mean this to be a cop out. I think it does matter that she's five and my, because my first question would always be to try to understand what they first think. How, what would you, just to be very honest, and this may not make for a good podcast interview here, but if someone came up to me and said, how would you define God? I would say, you know, I'm not, I don't know. How would you define God? And something that they say is going to lead me to another question and that's going to lead me to another question. Mm -hmm. And at some point when they feel like they've gotten to a good place, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to say, yeah, that sounds good to me. <laughs> that's a fair answer. Um, and honestly, you are practicing the, what did, there's a part in here where you say, because I'm trying to be like God. So I'm just, I'm going to intentionally try and I forget where it is. I know where it is on the page. Top third line. But, and, right and, 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 and to f maybe answer the question in the way that you originally intended it. I think it's fair for me because it goes back to exactly what you said at the beginning. As soon as I figure out what God is like, God, uh, God maneuvers God's self out from under my thumb. Mm -hmm. So what is God like? I don't know. I mean, who knows? I, I thought I knew what God was like when I was 10 and seven and 20, and God just keeps being different. So who knows? My favorite book of all time is The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And I went back and read it again about a week ago. And and for those of you know the, your listeners that haven't, haven't read it before or are not familiar, it's not a big book, it's pretty small. And it's basically the story of, of 
of C. It's this fictitious story of a dream that C.S. Lewis had. It, it didn't actually happen, but he tells it as if it was a dream. And in it, basically, people in a version of hell, which is not very hellish, it's just sort of a version of our of humanity almost or Earth. And and these people get a chance to ride a bus up to heaven. But when they get to heaven, they find that their bodies are insubstantial and that heaven is this place that's so real that these people that are that are visiting it can't even they can't even exist there without pain because, you know, there are these like insubstantial bodies that are that aren't able to influence the matter in heaven. So like blades of grass are like knives and like drops of rain are like bullets. And um, and each of the people has the opportunity to stay and gradually they would become more substantial and acclimatized to heaven. Uh, they're free to do that or they're free to go back to hell, basically. And what's interesting is you're privy to all these conversations. And in each one of them, there's something that's preventing this person from staying in heaven. And it's always, always, always them holding on to an idea that no longer works, but they refuse to let it go. And it sort of paints this picture that, that your own stubbornness is the only thing preventing you from being in heaven, from experiencing heaven. And that image is so powerful to me because I've had this thought of like, if, if God is real, I don't want to be so stubborn that I, that I miss it. You know, if, 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 there's a, if there's a way of being that's better than my current sort of way of being, then I, I want to know about it and I want to learn about it and I want to be open to it and not, not just reject it because I'm stubborn. So I've started, I, I mentioned it earlier in our conversation, but I've started referring to God as being um, because the word God has so many hangups for me and so much history that I'm, I'm kind of going like, what if I think of God as being itself? And, um, and I also have started using the pronoun she or, or her because, not because I actually think God is female but, or being is female, but because, although you can make an argument for that, that's a whole other conversation, but, 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 um, but I, I, I'm trying to shake up these preconceived notions of God and allow myself to be open to things that I hadn't considered before. Um, so one of the things that I've been saying a lot recently, uh, and I've, my wife and I've talked about this a lot is that I've said, I, I'm, I want to, I'm ready to submit to being. And, and what that means to me, it sort of comes out of that idea of great, of the great divorce. Like, I don't want to be so stubborn that I miss goodness. Um, I don't want to be so obsessed with one form of what I think is goodness that I miss this vast sea of goodness. And, and the only way you get to experience all of it is if you submit. And if you, if you let your, your preconceived notions go, when you're presented with something new, you don't hold on to the old so tightly that you can't see it. Um, and so my idea of, of, of God right now is, is, is being itself. And I'm on this journey where I'm constantly saying, I, 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 I want to submit to being whatever that looks like. And, and it's, it's sort of a form of saying like, I'm ready to believe in whatever God is really there, you know? And, and that's right now, I feel like the best thing that I've got going for me, right? Like, 
I don't know. There's so much I don't know about God and what's real about him or her or it. Um, but, but being itself, like I had this thought. I know this is way longer than probably you wanted on this question, but it's a good question. It's a good jumping off point for this. But I had this thought that, you know, you mentioned this earlier and I really agree with it. I think our deepest held beliefs are the ones that we act out regardless of what we say. And so, so it almost doesn't even matter what we say we believe. It's like, watch someone, watch, watch them, and you'll know what they believe. And so I noticed that by the very nature of continuing to live, not ending my own life, and bringing children into the world, and hoping that they live too, I'm actually affirming being. Like I'm saying that it's worth it to be here. Uh, I'm saying that it's better to exist than not to exist, as far as I know. And so in, in that sense, it's like, yeah, there's suffering in the world, but obviously I believe that being is still worth it. And so whatever that being is, is more good than not. And I feel like I'm ready to trust that and submit to that being, whatever she is. If I was going to tell people about God, what would I say mm -hmm. or how would I describe God? Yeah. And so I've actually been contemplating this. And so what I came up with is that that I would I would say that that God is the the creator, the redeemer, and the sustainer who's always with you and who loves you unconditionally. First, I would be like, who God is, like who he is. He is Rose of Sharon, Lion of Judah, Prince of Peace, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, like the bright and the morning star, like he is in all, through all, and with all, like he is closer than breath. He is everything that I long for, but beyond what I could ask, hope, and imagine, like he is healer, deliverer, like sovereign king, like he is close and far away, intimate and distant, high on, like high and lifted up, yet um, right beside me at the same time, like he is all that I will ever need, ever want, ever hope for, ever dream of. Um, and who I want to be with forever on this side of heaven and the next. He is praiseworthy, trustworthy, always good, always just, always loving, always beautiful. He is. Man. Like. Psalm says, like, he is. Um, the hope of glory, um, 
he he is ah the one who is here and the one ah he He is the one who is here and the one who is coming. Huh. And uh, yeah, he is he is who I am waiting for and who I, I have. Uh, yeah, he is he is all of it. Mm. Um, and when uh, he says to Moses, I am, I would, I would say you are um, in response. So I, I had a moment of deconstruction where that was a question that I struggled with. I actually... I share about a four week stint where I was preaching the Bible and I didn't even know if I believed in God or the Bible, like, uh, which is an awkward place to be as a lead pastor. So I would encourage people not to do that. But, you know, what's wild is I know a lot of pastors who have had experiences like that, some of which have actually been honest about it and some of which just continue to kind of bury it. Like, and it's, it's, it's hard to be honest with it because it really is a foundational, like to have a deconstructing moment when everything you've constructed is how you've built your career, your relationships, all of it. It's hard. Um, but in that moment, one of the things that brought me back, I wouldn't say it simplified my faith, but I would say it made my foundation very clear. And I, I alluded to this earlier that my foundation is on Jesus. And so Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus is the exact representation of God, the pure radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his being. And for me, I think that's interesting because it's it's the author of Hebrews. It's at the very beginning. He's writing to Jewish people who have an understanding of God from the Old Testament. And the like immediate, like the third verse is pretty much saying like Jesus is the exact representation of God. Whatever you think you know about God, filter it through the lens of Jesus. If it does not compute, it is not the exact representation of God. Like that's kind of how I read it. Like uh, when I read it that way, I was like, wow, this is. This changes all the struggles that I have with Old Testament God and New Testament God. Like, to me, I just always saw this, like, stark difference between the God of the Old Testament and, and the God of Jesus. Like, I just, I didn't, they did not connect to me. And, um, and so Hebrews 1.3 for me, like, helped me see that, like, God hasn't always been accurately represented in the Old Testament. Like, that's not to say... God wasn't the God he is now in the Old Testament or that God changed, you know, it's more to say like people were flawed and God was meeting them where they were. And ultimately God met us in fullness through Jesus in exact representation through Jesus. And so for me, when I think of God, I think of Jesus, I think of um, the life ministry, death, resurrection, ultimately the, the, the reality of the story of who Jesus was um, when I think of God. And so that's to me is the exact representation of God. But... Uh, God for me 
is like God is what is above what we use the words to describe God. God is a call for us. Uh, like for me personally, God is the God that's spoken of in the Hebrew Bible in the New Testament. It's the God that Jesus Christ comes to show. But God cannot be really accurately confined to those descriptions. I can't just say, look at, look at Jesus, look at Yahweh, right? Because what is Yahweh? It's a continual struggle that Israel has to discover who he is. And with Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit continuing to guide us into better and more truth. So when I say God, I'm referring to the God that Jesus came to reveal who Yahweh claimed to be. And at the same time, I'm saying the best images we have of that God are always an enigma. They're always in part. They're always, like Paul says, with a huge dose of humility. So the God that I'm looking for is both a God that is near and dear and personal, and at the same time, holy other, very much something that I am just trying to get my head and, and grasp around. So I think the divine is um, is everything that is in our consciousness and beyond, right? All of the things that we we have yet to imagine, and um, and I think it is uh, the divine is p- pure potential um, and genesis and creativity and life force, right? So I don't believe in I don't believe in a vengeful, destructive God. Um, I think that goes against any kind of logic that anybody could try to apply to the concept of God, right? Mm. I just I don't um it doesn't it doesn't make sense. I think men, not men as in I mean let me say humanity. Adam. As, Adam, yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Adam uh can can be vengeful. Mm-hmm. And we like to model our gods after Adam, right? But I don't think it goes the other way. I think I think God is pure life force and mm. pure creativity in Genesis. Yeah, I think I think that when I have a conversation with uh, my mom, uh, I was raised just my mom, single parent home, all that stuff like that. When I have a conversation with my mom, I can tell the spaces when it's just love when it's just for me. I can tell when fear gets into the conversation. I can tell the tone of her voice. I can tell when it's just like, when, when she has an agenda. Like, I think she's crazy for me, but even she's a human, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had a conversation with my mom when I was 17 years old. And I said, mom, I want to be a pilot. And she was like, you know, black man in America, you need a degree, no pilot school, you're going to college. I heard her voice coded in fear, you know? Mm-hmm. Not that it was my mom, but there was like, that, that was that fear in that. On the flip side, I came and told my mom, hey, I'm, I'm adopting a little girl. And there was nothing but like joy and excitement. And, and not that the circumstances are not necessarily what it, what it is, but I can hear in her the difference of this is just my love for you coming out versus this is my fear, my concern, whatever. Same thing in my, my, my wife, my daughter, same thing in conversations here. Like I feel like whatever that genuine, pure sense of of life, that energy can't be created or destroyed. There's something in, like pure about where we come from, something pure about what love does and how it connects people. I think that is 
that is a window into who God is. I think it's a it's, it's a breadcrumbing of sorts back to who He is ultimately. Um, when I think of God. I think of the pureness of life, the pureness of love. I think of holiness, not in like the you know I'm I'm behaving, mm-hmm. uh, but holy, kind of like in that Old Testament sense where it's just it's other. It's it's what we're all surrounded by, but we're all chasing toward because it's not fully here yet. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a loaded way of saying, and I, and I think it's Jesus. I think Jesus embodies that in a way that is that only he has done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of, uh, you know, that first Corinthians 13, you know, this is like, this is like a description of who love it. It just sounds like, like a savior. Uh, God. Um, yeah, well, I think uh, it's interesting because I think when most people say God or when everyone says God, it's a theology, I think. Like like the letters G-O-D are not God's name. The letters G-O-D are not God. Uh, they're, they're kind of pointers, like they point in the direction. So where am I pointing? I, 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 can I be cliche and say 1 John 4, 8 and say God is, God is love? I think that's a good pointer. I like I like the idea of how David Bentley Hart translates Satchitananda as being consciousness and bliss. So God is pure beingness. God is being as such, not a being, but being. God is pure consciousness, and God is experienced as bliss. I I like that Satchitananda. I think is the Hindu understanding of maybe what um, the old, they wouldn't call it God necessarily. Uh, they might. I don't remember. Uh, we're all kind of gods. We're lower G, lowercase g gods in the. It resonates in my bones. I can say theological things about God or um, what God isn't. I think this sort of negative theology, which is important. We and we we always in the West talk about. Uh, we have that whole like Westminster. We have a thousand descriptors of God, and God is omni everything. In the East, I think they think things through a little more differently. It's negative. God is not these things because I think that can help whittle down. It's just, it's helpful. That's a good way. I think it's a, it's an alternate way of thinking, and I and I like that. Uh, it's apophatic versus cataphatic knowledge. So love, being, consciousness, and bliss. I would say maybe are the four four words that I think point toward God. I mean, I would start by quoting scripture. Mm-hmm. God is love. And then, especially if I was talking to a kid, I like to try to pull images or relationships or things like that. Like God is like when you go over to your Nana's house and she's so excited to teach you how to quilt. And you're both just so excited to jump into this. And, and you get frustrated because you stick yourself with the needle and you don't get your stitches right. And she's with you the whole time. And she can't make it suck less. She can't make you learn it faster. She can't keep your fingers from hurting, but she's with you and she's guiding you. And if you pay attention, then you get that guidance that you need. Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, or God is like a warm house when it's 30 below zero in Wisconsin. <laughs> 
and it's warm and safe. God is like the wind that just like sweeps you down the beach and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to keep my feet under me right now. And usually I, you know, I, I worked as a children's pastor for close to 10 years. I would rather talk to kids about God all day than adults mm. in a lot of ways. Because, you know, I think we, we tend to get real freaked out as adults sometimes, like, how am I going to explain this, right? Like, how am I going to wrap God up into a neat and tidy little bow? And I remember I was talking to a group of third through fifth graders about the Trinity one time, which, why, I don't know, uh, but I was. <laughs> And so I was trying, I was like drawing all the diagrams, right? Like the triangles and the different things where I'm like trying to explain this. And one of them was like, oh, I got it. It's a God blob. And I was like, yep, that's nailed, it. Nailed it. it. It's a God blob. <laughs> um, and so I think that there is an imagination that kids bring to things. There's a willingness to be like, oh yeah. And God is like this. And God is like that that adults feel either silly or they feel uh, too vulnerable to engage in, or they are like, you know, embarrassed to be like, well, when I think about God, I think about, you know, my grandpa who took me fishing. Or when mm -hmm. I think about God, I think about my older cousin who, you know, always stood up to the bullies for me. Or when, you know, when I think about God, you know, all of that stuff. Right. Or, or we are like, you know what, when I think about God, it, it doesn't feel safe. And I have a lot of trauma around that or a lot of wounds around that, but we, we don't feel safe admitting that to one another. And so, um, I would rather talk to kids about it all day. Cause they're, they're just wide open usually, uh, you know, with what they think or what they feel, <laughs> but that's usually where I would, would start is to yeah. say, well, first and foremost, God is love and God is with us. And there's no place in creation, no distance to which God will not go to be with us. That's what we learn in the incarnation, right? It's like, no, God became flesh and to, to use the message, like moved into the neighborhood. Jesus dying on the cross isn't just to say like, oh, and now we're redeemed from sin and I don't have to die. It's to say, no, like Jesus is with us even into death. There's no place where God cannot reach, mm. will not go to be with and to love and, and to, to call us into life. And so what are some things that we can think about to help us imagine that? Because that's really hard to grasp. Gosh, what a nightmare of a question. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what language would I give to God? Um, well, the first thing I would say is that I'm immediately struck by, uh, I first heard it from Peter Rollins. I don't know who said it before him, but the idea that whatever I end up saying about God is by definition, then not God, because God is unspeakable and unknowable in fullness. So to even talk about God is to, is to talk about is to not be talking about God actually. So I just like is to be an awareness of that, but I, I, golly, I don't, this, I don't know how I would describe what God is. I think I would just say it is God is the, I don't know. God is the, is an expanse that is beyond what we can, what we can understand. But the part that, that feels accessible to me is to think about that whatever God is, God is, uh, love and God is um, 
God, God is a desire. Wherever there is, wherever there is resurrection in the world, wherever there is life coming from death, wherever there is uh, healing and uh, hope and love in the midst of, of, of difficulty and hate and, and hope in the midst of despair, like that is, that is God. That's where God is. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to have those conversations. I'm hoping my wife will do it. She uh, she went to seminary and she she works in, yeah. She's <laughs> gonna be like, hey, Brittany, you take this one. Um. Mm. That is such a good question. You know, just before I got on here, I. Um, I posted uh, something on, online. I think I'll, I'll read it because it's short and it's relevant to your question. I said, you know, whether we're having conversations around privilege, injustice, and systemic oppression, or around legacy, virtuous cycles, and paying it forward, most of us have no idea the full impacts of our actions on the world around us, be they life-giving or death-dealing. And we spiritual and religious folks, like to talk a big game, don't we? We use such expansive words like God and grace and love and redemption. But how many of us, if we were to slow down, have actually touched the essence of these words with any sort of sustained contact? Most of us don't even know the meaning of ourselves, never mind God. And, and where I ended up going with this is, you know, if divine judgment that so many people fear and threaten others with means knowing as I am known, then I say, bring on the judgment and start with me. May I truly know myself so I can take in the landscape and the detail alike, so I can have a lever and a place to stand. And so I would say that if someone's wanting to know God, which is a very lofty thing that we all too casually say, especially as religious folks, it's worth taking the time to know ourselves. And before I can even know myself, it take, it, it's worthwhile to witness myself, to observe myself, to remember myself, which for me, uh, in some of the sort of esoteric training I have to put it in ridiculous terms, it's, uh, it's taking snapshots of myself throughout the day. Sometimes literally, because actually my, my youngest daughter thinks that, you know, my phone is her toy. So she'll grab the phone and she'll start taking pictures of either selfies of herself or she'll start taking pictures of me. And the pictures of me she takes are from very unflattering angles. And they're usually when I'm awake, just waking up or doing something, you know, being preoccupied. And I used to delete them from my phone, but I keep them now because I'm like, this is not the manicured selfie that I post on Instagram. This is from all the wrong angles with my gut hanging out, with my eyes looking as tired as they do. And whether having that literal snapshot or also being able to kind of take a more impression snapshot of myself, and I don't mean this in any profound way. I mean, like literally what posture am I holding? What am I doing with my body? What, if, what can I feel like? What emotional state am I having in a given moment? I've got to start from there. I have to start from reality because so much, many of us, especially religious folks, live in fantasy land. We live in the sense of what is our, what is our idealized self that we hope will happen tomorrow. 
And so before I can even begin to know myself, I need to like observe myself. And that's usually kind of a humbling experience at first, but there's also a certain grace in it. There's also a certain amount of, of slack I begin to cut myself of like, man, no wonder, no wonder I'm so anxious. Like which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Is it like holding myself with my shoulders rounded and breathing rapidly that causes the anxiety or am I doing this because I'm feeling anxious? <sighs> Without even having to like initially think that I'm changing something, something, you know, begins to happen. And I think that this self-remembrance is similar to the kind of remembrance that Jesus talks about in, in what we call Eucharist, where we're, we're eating in a, a remembrance of him. It's what, what Muslims call uh, zikr. Again, it's a term of remembering ourself and remembering God, but it's a deeper form of recollection. But in, in the baby steps, I think, you know, if we, if we start to spend time with ourselves, we begin to recognize the sacredness of even that. And my hope is, and you know, maybe this is sort of Pollyannish, but I'm hoping if we could have a culture of maybe taking the pandemic's lessons and slowing down, and beginning to witness ourselves more, to remember ourselves, to observe ourselves more, and begin to see the sacredness of, of the everyday, that there will be fewer divisions between uh, spiritual folks of different persuasions and fewer divisions even between non-theists and, uh, and ardent believers. Like, so much I think we're, we're are arguing about uh, abstract terminology that none of us understands. Like I don't actually think Dawkins knows what he's talking about when he says the God delusion. But I also don't think a lot of believers know what they're talking about when they talk about God. And I don't know if I know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about God. And so can we just slow down and start with some really more basic uh, steps and ingredients here? I think I start with just a real big definition, and it is God is that upon which everything depends for existence. So I'm happy to start there, mm -hmm. and then we have traditions through which we aim to understand that God. And I think it's noteworthy to note that the prophets and prophets of all traditions there's not a lot that they agree on, but one thing seems that they do agree on. Every mystic who has a direct experience of God says that experience is one of love. And I think that's worth noting within our, and hey, we got it in, in, in the Bible. God is love. We got those words directly. It's worth noting that on a, a planet-wide basis, people notice that. Let's, I like to start there. And then the rest is detail. Well, I mean, as a Christian, God, you're only going to be able to know God in much as that God reveals God's self to you. So, so God's going to ultimately be a mystery until, unless God bridges the gap. And so I would say the God I confess and believe in is most clearly exemplified upon um, in, in, in Christ. So my, my definition of God is very Christological. So he is the image, you know, he is the image of the invisible God. Um, 
uh, he is he displays the divine nature. And so I think first John summarizes it really well, right? God is love. And so that's the way I, you know, it's one of the reasons I'm a Christian. Like I, like I signed up for the team that like said those three words, God is love. Like that's, that's, I'll go with that. But the hard part about that is, is that, is that love is, is also cruciform. And so to me, God is not just love, but cruciform love, because a lot of us think we're, a lot of us are lovers in our own minds, but when love is costly, hard, um, when it involves loving one's enemies, there's not a whole lot of people that sign up for that, for that journey. And so I don't want to say God is love in a trite way. Um, cause I think it's the hardest thing you can attempt in your life. Like if you really try to love everyone or the way Jesus says it in Luke, be kind, you know, be, be, he says kind of your father in heaven is kind to the wicked and the ungrateful. He sends his son and his reign upon the good and the bad light. Yeah. He is kind to the wicked and the ungrateful. So be children of your father in heaven. Well, that man to be kind to the wicked and the ungrateful, you know, I, I don't care how, liberal or tolerant or social justice warrior you are all of us struggle with being kind to the wicked and ungrateful but that's what makes us children of god so for me god is love as defined in jesus but it's that hard cross-shaped love it's so it's not this kind of like oh i just it's not this spacey like i love everybody it's, it's like daily work of loving the hard to love people in your life What is God? If they said to me, what is God? What is the divine? I would say that it is the creative and loving force that undergirds everything that is and ever will be. Oh, is this your end of the year? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. um, uh, mashup? Yeah, yeah. Some of them have been fun. Some have been two or three answers. Some have been uh, so just full. I, I won't tell you. It doesn't matter. What do you say? Yeah. Like so, when you, I've, I've I've learned more from this question honestly than some of the books that I've read this year. Hmm. I mean, I really like the. Well, I really like the Paul Tillich quote, which is. God is not a being like you and I are beings. He's the ground of being, the depth of being. That's that's a way to give some understanding to a mystery that I can that is, uh, as Rohr would say, uh, not unknowable but endlessly no, endlessly knowable. Um, so I don't know how to describe what God is. If I had a if I had a quote that came from me, this is what I would say, and it's in the book which is like, I don't understand how sovereignty works. I just know that God's really, 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 really detailed. And anytime I'm awakened to that intentionality, I'm filled with wonder. So how would I describe God is, is really intentional. And that, and, and that, that is, that's what I'm always looking for. 
I think unless you're a fundamentalist or an atheist, when you try to talk about God, it's going to be incoherent because you're talking about something that's so beyond our tiny little silly little minds. But when I talk about God, I'm talking about the animating source of all life. Um, I'm talking about this force of just boundless love and growth and actualization. Um, I'm talking about, you know, what happens between two people in, in deep human relationship. I think everything and everyone is part of this, this boundless loving energy. That's what I think God is. How do I relate to God? I, I relate to God as a you because I can't form a relationship with a force or with an energy. I just, I can't, that's not, that's not going to work for me. So I, I relate to the divine as a you and in very fleeting moments when I feel like I've touched into or felt the divine, it feels like just this boundless force of love that has been there all along and will always be there. And I, I'm very moved by it and very overwhelmed by it. Um, and I think that God is, is not, not just something that is, but it's something that we choose to do or not do, right? I think that we can, you know, with this boundless energy, we, we can use it for evil or we can use it for good. We can be open to it and, and, and try to serve it uh, and try to ourselves be forces of love and growth and care and actualization, or we can be close to it and be forces of hatred and cruelty and bigotry. So, you know, does it make sense that I think, think God is a force or this found the source of life that I think it's all that is but that I relate to it as a you yeah that is intellectually totally nonsense but it's what's true for me say that I've been thinking about this question probably more than any other in terms of how I could answer this and I've found myself answering it so many different ways that I don't even know which way I'm going to go in terms of the because I, I have I love your podcast I love listening to it it is on it is in my queue I, I look for it and I really love that you asked this question because I think it's crucial and I think it's vital um, not only for to hear people's answers but also for us to what does that mean what is the divine and as of right now where I go, God can be anything that you want. I think God can be, God can be a hammer. God can be uh, hateful. God can be loving. I think, we have, I think we have allowed for God to exist in any capacity and in any way without doing the work of what it, of what it really means. And this is where I think about our friend Janet. Is that was the episode or the nomad, nomad podcast that really obliterated my kind of viewpoint of the divine. Just making God this capital G-O-D that's up there kind of in charge, created all this and somehow has been trying to tell us what to do about it since then. And that, again, part of this overwhelming nature of what I don't know and what I don't understand, and despite the fact that I'm having a huge love for history and recognizing that it truly is a curse and a blessing that as you know more, you know less. But at the same time, feeling like I'd been talking to God my whole life, that I had an idea of what it was. But really looking at that apophatic theology in terms of what I believe it is from a pure sense, which is which you can't adequately describe with words, and you shouldn't. To, to think of it's, could it be, it's beyond what I think it is. It, it, is, it is nothing, it is everything. 
It is neither. It is both. It is so much. It's, it's all of those things. And yet it is everywhere, but it is nowhere. And it sounds, again, it's kind of hokey, kind of like you know, hippie kind of stuff. But quite honestly, in my experience of all of this, man, I, I don't even, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what God is, but I feel like I know what God is. It's all of those things. It's none of those things. Uh, but it's ultimately what I think. I think there's some, and, I, and, I, and I'm willing to say that I don't know what's next. I don't, I don't really know. I know what I like to believe is next. I know what I like to see is next. I know like I, where I see God in this. Because I can see God now, and I think you even said it before, don't give me a sunset. But I'll tell you, man, if I can remember as a young guy watching a sunrise for the first time in boot camp because I'd never gotten up that early in my life. And there's something magical about all of those things. There's something, there's something in God in a rock. There's something in God in you and who you are and the people that are listening to this in all of these things. And, and I think just trying to figure out and resting in this, this tension of not being able to answer that question properly, but knowing that there's an answer there is how I, it's how I see the divine is how I see God is how I, it's where I begin the journey where I begin my understanding of that is realizing that I don't and just trying to recognize and understand and go through that journey and, and do what I can with what I learn and do what I can with what I, and all those different paths and honor the process and honor the gift because we didn't ask to be here. The one thing I do know for sure is I didn't, I don't remember, you know, buying a ticket for this ride, but I'm here. So what am I going to do about it? I almost feel like, you know, I don't want to with this last thing around where I've kind of concluded around with another thing about God, the ultimate aspect of the relationship with the divine, however you want to describe it in terms of words. I have, is I think what the ultimate goal is, is, or what the ultimate hope is, I think, if I was going to be a little bit definitive, is that God, we ultimately choose to love God in spite of all of these things. And what I mean by that is there's, this has been hitting on me recently around there's a lot of reasons to lament, not just the ones that are human cause, but in the end, if, if God was the creator, as I believe, and all this kind of was part of this thing going on over here, how do we reconcile ultimately, not just with the things we've done, but if we've watched a kid die of bone cancer, we, I think about Stephen Fry and his argument where he would just mic drop God, bone cancer and the, the CTC fly that was planting larvae in a kid's eyes, that even if God exists, he was going to mic drop him because you made bone cancer possible. And so there's, I don't even care if you are real, there's no way you can justify that that suffering. And look at the suffering that we have been put on each other or just as existed in, in nature, just as it is. But can I, can I go through all of these kind of, we have the rights that we have, we have a man killed and stepped on for eight minutes and 46 seconds until the very life of him expels out. And this guy doesn't even have the wherewithal to think at that moment that he's actually doing something horrible to somebody the point where he ended the person's life. And that how does that, ex how do we exist with that? And I don't think that's just a challenge for race or a challenge for you and I. How do we deal with that relative to the divine? How do we reconcile that? And can we go through all of these things? Can we see all these things? Can we look at history? Can we see the stories and lament of the suffering that we've gone through and still choose to be faithful and love God anyway? So my hope is that that's part of what God is too.
so like now that I'm like fading fast and I'm getting into ready to go to bed mode, I'm like, wait, uh, yeah, let's end on a light note. Um, so as much as I've been through a lot of deconstruction and as much as I don't really connect to evangelicalism anymore or evangelical as a label, um, I'm still head over heels in love with the Christian concept of God. I'm head over heels in love with Jesus. I still have what is traditionally considered a quote unquote high view of scripture. Um, And that's such a weird dichotomy for me sometimes because I fall into this strange niche. And that's part of why my book sales are what they are, to be honest, is that I'm too liberal for most of my Christian friends. And I'm too Christian for a lot of progressive spaces. And so I'm in this interesting tension of, I still am head over heels in love with Jesus. And I'm still a almost daily Bible reader. I'd love to say daily, but that would be a lie. Um, but I'm still pretty nerdy and, and, and obsessed with it and not ready to give it up. And I've had other shows ask like, Hey, after some of the years of trauma and church related trauma and things that you experienced, like why, what kept you? Like, what was the thing that helped you hold on to Jesus and faith? And I don't have a good answer for that still even after like a dozen different shows asking that, because I don't know, like everything logically, when I look at it really objectively, there's no logical reason why I would still be in church. Honest to God, there's been a lot of hurt there. There are so many reasons to leave. And there are times that I feel like I almost wished I could leave. I tried out the uh, hashtag exvangelical movement for a while, and it just never felt like home. I never fully felt like, like I have a Facebook group and I tried it out and I don't know, like there was something, I just was never quite willing to let it all go. So for me, God is still very much the traditional God of the Christian Bible, Um I'm exploring a lot about Jewish faith right now because I found out um, a couple of years ago that uh, by birth heritage, I'm Jewish. Um, and if I hadn't been adopted, I would have been raised in the Jewish faith from the get-go. Um, and I'm trying to figure out what that looks like as a white, for all intents and purposes, white um, Christian woman, what it means to be culturally Jewish without sort of taking um, weird elements of faith that don't belong to me. But um, I think that's expanding my view of who God is in a lot of ways as I try to figure out what I can incorporate without letting go of Jesus entirely. Um, But for the most part, it's, you know, the God of the Hebrew and Christian Bibles is still what I mean when I say God. I've tried to ditch him. Lord knows I've tried, but he's still there. A lot of people have thought of God as an old guy in the sky or maybe uh, 
an emperor who gets angry and sends down lightning bolts. And they've seen the problems with that. And they've shifted away from that. And they no longer believe in a personal God and the kind of language they will use. And when I say they, I mean professional theologians, popular Christian people that you and I would admire. I could say names. And they'll use words like the divine or a loving, a, a love with no uh, ground of being. They mm. use all kinds of these kind of abstract language. It gets away from the personal, but is leaning toward transcendence. I like the personal. Mm. So I want to avoid the old man in the sky or the divine monarch throwing down lightning bolts. And I can do that by emphasizing God's God as a universal spirit that can't be perceived by our five senses, and yet is giving and receiving moment by moment, motivated by love. So it's not just love. It's a being who loves, but is omnipresent. That way of thinking to me makes a lot more sense of my intuitions about what love ought to be like aligns pretty well with personal language in the scripture without getting too anthropomorphic. And also I think covers the really important view, part of uh, thinking about God and that's God's universal presence. Yeah, that, no, that's a great question. And I, honestly, like I said, I'm, I'm I'm getting into practice just in my house around here. Like my, my youngest daughter was like, she started doing that. She's like, I like that. But I'm, I'm like literally recently getting in this habit of actually using the Egyptian word for uh, for the divine or for the creator, which is nuda. And uh, and it, it means the same thing as God. But again, God, I mean, when, when we look at where that word comes from, it actually comes from, again, like pre-Christian Germanic, uh, you know, paganism. Which is which is cool, you know. But again, just as a way of like showing, hey, there's other ways that we can talk about the Creator, uh, and it doesn't have to be God or heaven and hell and all this Nordic terminology. Um, but we can use you know, stuff from our African roots or or Asian or whatever. Um, I mean, you know, in China they they have you know they call him Shangdi, and uh, in Ethiopia he's, he's the Creator is known as Exi Abher, and that means that means the the Lord of the land, literally. Um, I, I really like that one. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, when I, when I say like Nuda or, or, or God, uh, or Dios in Spanish, uh, I'm talking about the, yeah, I'm talking about the creator. I'm talking about first cause of all existence, the, the cause of all things good, the, 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 the originator of all life who is eternal, who lives, uh, outside and inside of time and, uh, all kind of human attempts of understanding even what existence are, that he's the reason for all of it. Um, uh, he's the reason for everything good, uh, but not you know, nothing bad. And, um, and, uh, and that he is, uh, as, as, and I believe that his Holy spirit is poured out on all flesh. I believe that it speaks through his images in every single human being. Uh, and I think that his spirit, uh, is breathes life inside of every person and that it draws all people to him. And so even people who don't have not yet fully come to know him fully realized, uh, as the incarnate, uh, Yeshua Hamashiach, uh, that 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 spirit that lives in that the spirit of the Almighty that lives and dwells in every person and is drawing them to and so even all of us in our in our worship even if it hasn't been fully realized even in other religions, 
religions it hasn't been fully realized yet in Yeshua. I love the idea of the, I love the imagery of the Magi uh, story in uh, the nativity where you have these, you know, Persian Zoroastrian priests. The Zoroastrians, they worship the stars. So that's why they were looking at the stars. And then <laughs> the creator, uh, Nuda, actually calls them through their worship and through the stars. So I think of when I see people who are worshiping and reaching out to the divine, uh, even if they're not Christian, even if they're not a Nazrawi, right, uh, having fully known Jesus as Lord and Savior, that I see that 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 the Creator is working in them, drawing them unto Himself, drawing uh, like drawing them through His Spirit and through His Word. So I believe that the Bible is uh, Old and New Testament is God's holy Word, and so the way that the Scripture talks about God, that He is completely light, and in there is no darkness, that that uh, that He is not a human, that uh, that His ways are above those of humans, that that He is the Creator, that He. Uh, that that he is uh, all good, that he's love, that all the, the ways that the spirit and the word, which I believe testify in agreement with one another, uh, describe the, who the creator, the divine Elohim, Yahweh, to be, uh, is what I mean when I say God. And I would say, and I would add that everything I just said is, is utterly worthless to really understand really who God is. It, it far misses the mark. <laughs> Yeah, it it's a it's it's a lot. Um, God is <laughs> God is the entity, mind, agent, whatever you want to call it, that is capable of bringing the universe into existence, and that is present to every creature at every moment, uh, luring us toward rightness towards goodness towards love and beauty and justice and um pervading and i don't know like like that old classic doctrine of of god sustaining the universe at every moment is i think that's right i mean um i i would consider myself a panentheist at this point which is that like everything in the universe is within god but god is also more than the universe um, and so, uh, yeah, or, or, you know, or I guess it's hard to know what to think about matter and, um, you know, all that stuff. So I'll just say that. Yeah, you're right. That's a big question. And I think I'm going to go somewhere with it that I, okay, I'm just going to go there. Stay with me here. Okay. Stay with me here. God is me and I am everyone else. And everyone else is an expression of that whom God loves, which is God's own son, who I'm one with. And so for me, God is the one who is closer than my own skin. God is the one who is there no matter what is going on. God is the one who is seated at the deepest, most innermost parts of who I am. God is the one who has cleaned the inside of the cup and stays inside the cup to make sure the inside never gets dirty again. Hmm. 
that's who God is for me. Um, and when I said, why I said God is me at the beginning is because the journey of Jesus Christ that has transformed me and had actual fruit in my life, legitimate personal change, all comes from a place of God revealing that I'm his kid and that I am of the same substance as he is. Um, I've actually had an image in my mind that I, it comes up almost every time I talk about God with people. Um, you know, you call it a picture or a vision or whatever you want to call it. I just, I just see, I see this big gigantic oak tree, huge oak tree, just branches shooting out everywhere, all this stuff. And then I see a little oak tree sapling, like where, where the branches go out and underneath where an acorn dropped. And God is like, I'm the oak tree and you're the sapling. Meaning that while I don't look exactly like I think God looks, the substance of my being is the same substance of God's being. And that is who God is to me. When I say the word God, I think of the word, I, I think, okay. Let me just wrap my, my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a good one. And I, when I hear the word God, I, I think about something supernatural, something that's, that I can't explain, something that I can't grasp, something that I will never understand something that I will always wrestle with. I remember when I first, I would say that this was a defining point in my faith and it was in college. And I remember saying, and this part of just kind of my faith story, I guess I, I said, I'm just going to hold on tight. And this was in 2008 or something like this. And I'm just holding on as tight as possible what am I holding on to? I'm holding on to supernatural. I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with that supernatural sometimes often. Um, I'm wrestling with this idea of who God is. Is God just about justice or is God injustice? Why does God allow something like COVID-19 to take over and paralyze the world? Right. I'm holding on tight but I also allow room to wrestle and to broaden the perspective of what I'm holding on to. Well, yeah, I already did mention, um, I believe God is our creator. So, I mean, I'll even ask, I have three little girls uh, when they were all, well, one to their ages, um, almost four and then six and eight. And when they're all around the age of three, I would ask them, do you know who God is? And it's fun just to hear how they answer that. Uh, but sometimes they would just say, um, can you tell me? <laughs> and so I would always, the first thing I would say is, God made you. He's the one who made you. That's who God is. Mm -hmm. And he also loves you. 
And so I love to keep it that simple. God is the one who made me, knows me, and loves me. Yeah, that's, man, that's such a hard question. And I think, and I'm, I'm so thankful that uh, it gets to continue to evolve with us, you know, and that uh, we can continue to be in process. And so, you know, the, my answer to that today is so, so different than it would have been before this film or before I had you know, my two girls or whatever. And, you know, that's, that's, that's beginning to already answer the question um, is, is that kind of, um, you know, this unfolding version of um, what, what is possible in, in humanity and on this planet and, you know, uh, in between each other. And so, I don't know, I, I think more recently I have the, the kind of, revelation of nature and uh self has has weighed heavier to me than than the revelation of scripture um and i've i've been in a process of kind of re rebalancing these these things um and that's the thing to me i think that it is uh you know, I believe, I believe Jesus is who he said he was. Um, I believe that, yeah, I, you know, in, in, at risk of sounding super hippie and, you know, <laughs> that it is, it is, you know, a balance, you know, that, that, that's, that's kind of what I think of, um, when I think of it is just, is harmony, um, you know, and and that expression through uh, Jesus Christ and his his life here on earth, that expression through you know all the revelations that we are surrounded by, um, our gut, you know, all these things. But it is it comes back down to um, harmony, and I think that love is possible in harmony. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of the. The, the action version of God is, is love and, you know, the kind of passive version is this harmony. That's a great question. You know, I usually try to start from a place where wherever they are, right? So if they have some kind of religious background, I try to start. Maybe I like to do I like to do the uh, um, Aquinas thing of God is not right. So God is not a hateful rule following judge. God is not a cruel taskmaster who doesn't want you to have fun. Uh, God is not uh, the righteous person who's wait can't wait to smite you and send you to hell. Um, I, I tend to start with the idea that God is an all loving creator who is the source of life and good. And so, uh, I, especially if I'm 
early in a faith conversation with someone, I try not to even tie it super, super specifically to Christianity yet. Mm. Uh, like, like for instance, I have a good friend whose uh, whole family is Hindu and she came to Christ, uh, I think in high school, after high school. And she and I were talking one time about how anxious she feels about talking about religion with her family. And I said, well, why? And she's like, well, cause they're Hindu and I'm Christian. I was like, well, well, sure. But like, why does that make you so anxious? Right. And she said, well, I just, I just hate having to tell them they're wrong about everything. And I was like, well, are they wrong about everything? And you know, we kind of played with that for a while. And I said, you know, if you have someone who's an earnest Hindu, then there are things that they believe about Jesus that are true and that are or things they believe about God that are good and true and praiseworthy. And you can actually affirm those things and meet them in those spaces and understand that God is present with them in those spaces. Mm. Um, a good friend of mine who's a fascinating co-host, uh, Matt Michelatis, he he has actually has a book on evangelism. And one of my favorite stories about evangelism he ever tells is that he was doing, uh, he's with Campus Crusade for Christ which is now called crew. And uh, they were sharing, they would, they would do this thing where they walk up to people and just say, Hey, would you like to have a spiritual conversation? And then if they say yes, they say, what do you want to talk about? And they just, you know, then they, again, they just try to be present with that person and be a spiritual companion to them. So he walked up to this kid on a college campus one time and said, Hey, would you be interested in having a spiritual conversation? The guy lit up like a Christmas tree, right? He's like, yes, I would love to. That's like, Oh, great. I said, okay, good. What do you want to talk about? And he goes, well, here's something you need to know about me. I'm the most Buddhist person you'll ever meet. And of course, Matt's like, oh no, <laughs> right? He's like, I'm so Buddhist. My Buddhist family always tells me to chill out with all the Buddhism stuff. Matt's like, okay, great. So like, <laughs> what, uh, what do you want to talk about? And he goes, well, here's my question. He said, Buddha was very clear that he's not God and that we should not worship him as a God. But all of my Buddhist family worships him like a God. And it makes me so mad because Buddha specifically said, I'm not God, don't worship me. It's like, I just, I just wish that if there was someone who was God, they would say, Hey guys, I'm God and you should worship me. <laughs> and Matt goes, uh, could I show you, could I introduce so, you to someone? So here's the thing. <laughs> kid goes, yeah, absolutely. So yeah. he, he gives him some passages from the gospels to read and he, the kid reads them. And Matt goes, well, what do you think about that? And the kid goes, I guess I'm a Christian now. I love Jesus and I want to worship him. <laughs> and so Matt makes the point, like it was this kid's faithful Buddhism mm. that was the spirit's way of preparing his heart to receive the gospel seed. Right. And it was, it was his very devotion to Buddhism that would have written, that would have caused a lot of people to write him off as a lost cause that actually made him the perfect fertile soil to receive the gospel. Mm. And so for me, when I approach someone who doesn't, who wants to know who God is, who has these spiritual questions, that's what I'm always trying to do is, is if they're asking me this question, or if this is a conversation we're entering into, that means that the spirit is already present in their life somewhere and already at work in their life somewhere. And the ground has been tilled such that they're coming to me and asking this question, especially as I'm a pastor, right? Like no one comes to me and just asks me unless they want to get into it because I like to get into it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't have like a go-to answer for that. I always, I'm always trying to look and ask like, how is God already present? How is God already at work? And then I want to point those things out to them and then invite them to take another step closer to Jesus. Again, I'll set it in contrast with the with, with the West, right? There's a tendency in the West to think of that when you that you define God, right, and you start to 
give attributes the way you would define a circle, right? A circle is a two-dimensional geometric shape with flowing circumference, all points equal distance from common century, whatever, right? Um, and so you do the same thing with God and you say, well, God is, you know, the greatest of all possible beings, greater than which none can be conceived. And as a result, he's omnipotent, right? He can do anything. He's omniscient. He knows everything, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The Eastern way of thinking about it, which is my way of thinking about it now, um, is that there are sort of three layers of ontology to be talked talked about, right? Um, and you can find this in Maximus, the confessor. He talks about that there's God super substantially as he is in himself, the divine nature. Then there are things around God or the divine energies or the divine processions. And then there is creatures. And there's an intersection, right? A porous nature between this, this, the second and the third of those, which we've talked about. But this is where the second one, I think, is really important to how, how I think about God, drawing from the Eastern Fathers. So it's easy enough to tend to think again, you know, to start to think, well, I guess the divine energies or divine processions or the things around God are things that sort of like start acting like they're just God acting when he makes the world or something like that. And then sort of just link them with the world. But Maximus actually identifies the divine energies or processions or things around God, pseudodynamics does too, as these acts that precede time. In other words, they're there as activities of God before he ever makes anything. And one of the analogies that I think is really, really helpful here to thinking about this, which goes to your question, is if I were to introduce you Bach, and I said, like, Bach is this creative, like we've resurrected him, he's here, and I'm like, he's this creative genius, and the wealth of creativity and beauty, and I start to use all these sort of laudable terms. And you've never heard of Bach, right? You go, well, that's great, but what does that actually mean? Like, what does any of that actually mean? The best way for me to answer that is to actually give Bach like a piano. Say, show him, right? And he starts like playing a movement, right? And then you are you go, wow. But then he's like, oh, but that's not everything, right? And he plays a very different movement. And each movement he plays now, you get a deeper sense of like what I meant by that creative depth that's there. And you get a sense of, you know, speed and accuracy, you get a sense of nuance, you get, you know, each movement starts to draw out all these different, you know, dynamics of that creative genius. And you start to see how deep and rich and inexhaustible it is and so on. In the same way, what God is, his face, right? What God is super substantially is like that, where we say, well, it is beyond, right? It's beyond, you know, the forms and it's beyond this and it's beyond that. No man can see it and live. and yeah. But it's also unarticulated, just like Bach's creative genius. And it's only God's acts that precede time and then in time um, that begin to articulate it. And so the Eastern Fathers actually, this is a huge difference between East and West, that Divine attributes do not actually refer to essential properties of the divine nature. They refer to divine activities. So God's goodness is actually an act that precedes time. It's an activity, just like a movement Bach plays. God's justice is an act that precedes time. It's an activity that precedes time and articulates the divine nature. 
his simplicity, his, you know, his, his love, right? All of these things are things that articulate. Now, that's not to say that what God is, you know, super substantially, if you're going to use that sort of terminology, uh, has no structure to it, right? That, that he could be evil or he could be good, right? Just like with Bach, it's rooted in something that's there, right? The creative genius that flows forth articulates something that's real and underneath it and gives structure to it. But at the same time, he has free choice in how it's articulated, right? He doesn't have to play this movement. And each time he does, he's in some way manifesting it anew, right? And a new dimension of it. And that's how the Eastern Fathers talk about God's energies or his processions or the things around God or his acts that precede time, is that his goodness and his love and his justice and all these things are ultimately free articulations of who and what God is. And they suggest that that's how we get to know who and what God is. Just like with Bach, that's how you get to know what I mean by that. And ultimately, that's what starts to happen when he makes the world. So as you start to see the dynamism of the world and the orderly nature of the world, and the more we learn about it through, you know, physics and whatever else, like that you start to see more of those articulations of what we mean by his, you know, depth of wisdom and understanding and so on and so forth. Um, and then even obviously in the incarnation, right, in his miracles and his works in history, we begin to see it more and more and more and more. Those are the manifestation articulation of who and what God is. Those are his attributes, right? The free activities that come down to us, that precede time and that come down to us in the making of things. That's it. We ended the year, right? We're going to hit it hard. We're going to hit it fast. And I've got some big plans for 2021. Hopefully 2021 is a much better overall year for everyone. Take care of yourself. Be blessed. <laughs>